everybody, and welcome back to Writing the Rapids, the show where I, Joe Balecki, talk to writers about writing. Very often, those writers have been recommended to me by writers who have previously been on the show. In the case of this month's guest, Paul Cunningham, he was recommended to me by Olivia Kronk. If you liked that episode, you'll like this one, and if you like this one and haven't heard that one, you'll want to go back and give it a listen. Paul Cunningham is the recipient of the 2021 Diane Blakely Poetry Prize and the 2015 Sparks Prize Fellowship. He is the author of The House of the Tree of Sores, Schism Press, as well as Fall Garment, also from Schism. From the Swedish, he's the translator of Helena Oosterlund's Words from Oomph Press. He also translated two chapbooks by Sarah Tuss Efrik, Automania's Select Poems from Good Morning Menagerie, and The Knight's Belly from Toad Press. His most recent poetry chapbook is The Inmost from Carrion Bloom Books. His interests include literary translation in theory and practice, decadent poetics, and eco-critical studies. He co-manages Action Books, an international press for poetry and translation. Cunningham is also an invited member of the International Network of Comparative Humanities, funded by Princeton University at the University of Notre Dame. He is currently a PhD candidate at the University of Georgia. If you would like to support the show, you can do so. Primarily, the best way is patreon.com slash noisemakerjoe. I got three different tiers and they all have different things. You could throw a one-time donation to me over at paypal.me slash noisemakerjoe. Or you could buy my book. It's called Tired, out from Alien Buddha Press, and it's on Amazon. You could also just give this podcast a five-star review wherever you're listening to it. Now, without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Paul. So I think I think we'll start out with with Fall Garment, because that's the, the most recent uh, piece that I've read. And, and then we can, we can spiral out from there. Um, was it from Fall Garment that you read for Meg's book release party? Yeah, okay. I read from the uh, second section, Sick Arc. Okay, I like that part. Um, <laughs> speaking, speaking of which, the thing I've noticed in, in both of your books that I've read is that in breaking them up, particularly in Fall Garment, it, I felt like the the sections were were quite a bit different, at least like stylistically. Mm-hmm. Um, and as as a person who's self described bad at poetry, like it's always interesting to me to see like how people structure a book of poetry, um, like you know it, the the form of the poem has become so nebulous into what it can be so open that um, I'm always kind of surprised what I find. And maybe that's because I read like five poetry books a year and, (laughs) and they're all in like our world. Um, But, but I don't know. So yeah, talk about like the impetus for this book and then how you decided to structure it. Um, So that, section that I read from um, the uh, the sick arc I'd say I, I I wrote that section last actually that was the last thing I wrote in this um, three-part collection um, the first part I wrote was fall garment and um, a lot of fall garment um, has to do with...
Tom Tom Brown, the fashion designer, Sir Thomas Brown, the Renaissance philosopher, um, also uh, Luchino Visconti's adaptation of Thomas Mann's Death in Venice, which was an inspiration for one of Tom Brown's uh, menswear lines, uh, specifically his 2019 uh, beachwear line. It was this really surreal kind of fucked up beach themed uh, <laughs> uh, fashion show that was um, inspired uh, specifically by the fashion worn um, in the film Death in Venice. I had never seen or read Death in Venice prior, um, but I've been a longtime fan of Tom Brown's um, fashion. Um, I love his shows. Uh, and uh, so then basically, I, basically, I just kept diving deeper and deeper into, uh, oh, it's a fashion show, but it's influenced by this, uh, this iconic film um, uh, that's also adapted by the, you know, from this Thomas Mann novel. Um, but then there's this controversy in the film uh, because uh, uh, the young actor in the film, uh, Bjorn Andresen, uh, was, you know, manipulated or exploited. Um, and I just kept, I just kept uh, uncovering all these um, layers and uh, uh, the, the, uh, I think it's um, oh yeah, I'm blanking on the film uh, um, Midsummer um, mm. Ari Aster's Midsummer. Um, if you've seen it, you know about the 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 scene with the old man who gets he fa he, he falls off the cliff and face bashed in and. And uh, there's this, it's this weird connection. Uh, so that actor is actually Bjorn Andresen, who was the boy uh, from Death in Venice, um, who plays Tadjo in the film. And uh, he was kind of like one of the world's first teen icons. And uh, Visconti had dubbed him the most beautiful boy in the world. And uh, his life was kind of basically ruined by this iconicity. Um, and there's since a, since a, a documentary has come out after I wrote this um, book, because um, the more research I kept doing uh, led me to, I think I got the, yeah, it was the Criterion version the Criterion version of Death in Venice, and there was, I look, I always, I always watch the extras on those, and the casting call uh, was really creepy. I thought the casting call was pretty creepy, and the footage was kind of creepy, and now there's a documentary, and so it's like this whole weird thing that I kind of got caught up in, where um, this guy whose life was basically ruined by becoming an icon. Um, who is known as once known as the most beautiful boy in the world, uh, is starring in the Sari Aster film, having his face smashed in and 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 kind of blown apart and to bloody pulp. Um, and so um, 
I've since watched the documentary and I liked it a lot. Um, but I just kept going deeper and deeper and into Tom Brown's work um, as a meticulous designer, someone who cares a lot about uh, predecessors and rites and rituals and it has to be done this way. And maybe that's, is it, is Tom Brown embracing an American exceptionalism or is he, is he um, critiquing it? And then I'm also reading this book called Hydrotaphia at the same time by this Renaissance thinker, Sir Thomas Brown, who is obsessed with uh, Christian burial methods. There's a right way and a wrong way to bury and it has to be done a meticulous way and we can't cremate, it must be buried. But uh, the important thing at the end of the day is everyone makes it to heaven. And uh, so I, I just saw these two figures um, who also sh oddly, these two figures that are obsessed with control, who share the same name and different eras of history. Um, uh, yeah, that was the first hole I fell down. And uh, yeah. And what a hole. You have to interrupt me. I'll just ramble. I'll just. <laughs> it's totally fine. It makes my job easier. The 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 Tom Brown. I'm, I'm googling as you're talking. Um, the the spring twenty nine beachwear thing. Is that the one with the weird masks? Yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, um, really creepy, eerie masks. Um, it's very and... like, yeah, like um, like a like a cardboard cutout, cheap spirit halloween version of like a slipknot mask or something yes they look like slipknot masks exactly yes they, they really yes, do it's like high couture uh, meets slipknot <laughs> it's yeah, great it's like uh, um it's like you found the fabric for a baby onesie and a bunch of gingham <laughs> and a sort of crazy bondage right. mask and then said all right i'm gonna do this um right yeah, yeah yes and it's uh because you reminded me because you um mentioned gingham um Another thing that I'm obsessed with is his uh, the way he draws, um, the way he works. Um, his fashion sketches, they look like some sort of uh, cubist. They're, everything's geometrical, um, and, and I mimic this in the book. So I do my own kind of Tom Brown influence sketch in the beginning of each um, in the beginning of each section of the book um factory appetite and sick arc the first two sections they they have similar drawings but it's like um if he draws a triangle you know that means pleated skirt uh square equals jacket uh, a rectangle might mean bulky outerwear and so he, he does these weird um geometrical sketches that are then interpreted by a team uh, or maybe misinterpreted um <laughs> but he begins with this. Uh, uh, he he begins with this geometry, and then comes fabric, and then comes um, everything else. Uh, that's, that's fascinating. <laughs> that that's how you would work that way. I I love the drawings alone. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, I, I'm glad that you even mentioned the um the drawings at the beginning of each section in this book because um. I, th I think sometimes I tend to, and not in a cynical way, may maybe in a in a sort of maybe maybe it's a result of of my 
misunderstanding or underestimating my abilities to understand art or something but some sometimes i'll see stuff like that in one of the books i do for the show or, or just you know reading our peers and just go like oh okay diagram cool <laughs> diagrams are cool uh, let's try to try to get to the words um but uh yeah that's that's fascinating i my my wife and i watch um the the various heidi klum fashion design oh. um competition shows making the cut and i can't remember the name of the other one that that's older than that but project runway maybe probably I, yeah, for whatever yeah. reason i want to call it america's next top model but that's not it maybe that, it's america yeah you might be right that's, yes. i mean that's the one for modeling but because there's a runway involved and my wife watches right. it they're the same in my brain um <laughs> but like i mean they they have b-roll of people drawing but uh, the the sort of strange coded diagram thing is is completely new and wild to me um such that like I don't even know. I, I kind of want to figure out a way to do that for uh, writing, like plot out a novel with just wordless diagrams somehow. Um, but I need to... <laughs> I, 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 well, I used to, um, and I think I figured it out, but it's it, it, it just doesn't... Um, it's not the same, but there was a time... And I really relied on this a lot for structuring things, whether it was like um, mostly poetry collections, but it's, um, I've, I, 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 I write a lot of prose too. I just haven't published a novel yet, but, um, or even if you wanna, I don't know if I think of them as novels, maybe just books, but, um, uh, cause people still uh, don't even, uh, the House of the Tree of Swords has been called a book of poetry and it's also been called a novel. And, mm. But, um, there used to be this way you could zoom out on Microsoft Word and look at every page. You could look at like 110 pages at yeah. once. And I, I'd be fascinated by like, why in these first 15 pages is text so sparse? And then it gets fuller here. And Microsoft Word's been up, you know, it's gone through so many updates over the years. And um, it's not, you. I, I found a way to kind of mimic that, but... Uh, uh, I miss I miss that I miss being able to <laughs> I don't know why but it really helped me um, or maybe it maybe it just made me second guess everything <laughs> I was doing I don't know but um, uh, you reminded me of that I mean the act of editing is so arcane anyway that it seems like literally anything that we can do to sort of give us a push in any direction is right. going to be useful um, yeah I did that when I was when I was working on one of my novels, I like zoomed all the way out and then took a picture of the computer screen with my phone <laughs> yeah. and put it on Instagram or something like that. Um, yeah, no, it's a, uh... yeah. The tree of the house of Saurus, I, I guess I'd call it a hybrid work, but I also don't have a good like functional definition for what a hybrid, what hybrid poetry or hybrid prose even is. Um, but some, some of the people in, in a discord I'm in, were talking about, trying to like collect hybrid works to teach um oh, yeah. a, a conversation i could only watch and not participate in but and i hadn't read the tree of the house of swords yet so i i didn't think to even couldn't think to even bring it up but yeah because there's like a a plot or at least a narrative um and it like 
breaks into line breaks and then kind of coalesces again into mm-hmm. prosier bits. Um, but yeah, I have a friend who like blew my mind recently by talking about how flash fiction, um, like, is that just prose poetry? Mm-hmm. Uh, which like not something I had even considered before either. Yeah. I feel like if you ever like struggling, if you're like talking to a writer in a bar or something and you're struggling to find something to kill time over, you just, you just oh, is it a flash fiction or is it a prose poem? Uh, and, and you can just, yeah. We're, we're gonna... I don't know. If, and I really don't have a strong opinion either way, okay. but I, I do gravitate towards, um, the role of poet. So, um, mm. <laughs> So that kind of answers, because I know some people get really grumpy about designating. (laughs) Um, Like, I I just kind of, I like, because I'm prosier in my practice, I just kind of, I think about like, I'm going to sit down and write a piece of flash fiction. And then if it happens to be longer than 750 words or whatever, it's like, I guess I wrote a short story. Um, Yeah, and I've worked in a similar way. I wrote this um, when I was living in Georgia. uh, I lived in Georgia for the last six years. Um, I'm in Indiana again. And I found it really strange that um, you could, if you looked at, uh, I'm blanking on, I guess, yeah, pest control, like various pest control businesses. Uh, and I'm normally thinking of like, I don't know, insects or raccoons or whatever. Uh, but it was this thing in Georgia that uh, called nuisance foxes. It wasn't a fox. It was, are you experiencing a nuisance fox? And uh, I ended up I ended up writing a short story, air quotes, um, called Nuisance, which was about um, uh, a fox, uh, a fox as a character, a fox um, uh, that speaks and thinks. Um, But I I thought it was going to be a series of prose poems. That's how I wrote it. I wrote like a paragraph per page Mm -hmm. for a long time. And then it became a short story. <laughs> um, uh, so, um, yeah, I feel like everything I do begins in some sort of poem mode <laughs> mm-hmm. or poet's frame of mind. Uh, people yeah. get grumpy about the lyric too. And I, I, I don't get grumpy about the, that's, hmm. that's, that's fine as well. I like the prose poem. I like the lyrical mode. I like line breaks. I think I think you can do things with line breaks that you can't do in a prose poem. Um, but uh, yeah, I in college read a lot of um, Laura Kaziski, who would like, and I've kind of adopted this. Who would have just you know line breaks, line breaks, line breaks, and then kind of like a short paragraph in the middle of the page, and then line uh-huh. breaks the rest of the way down. Um, that I was like, oh yeah, 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 that's totally fine, um, because like, <laughs> if if a line 
doesn't need a line break and the page isn't wide enough, then it becomes a prose section. <laughs> right, right. Like if you don't need a line break, don't put a line break in. Um, and that was kind of revolutionary for me as a, I guess, geez, what age are you when you graduate college normally? Uh, in my twenties, in my early twenties. Yeah, yeah. Um, like that was just, that was something that was really cool for me. Cause I, I remember a couple of years later reading a different poem where like, it's clear that they had to fuck with the margins on every poem because some of the poems had like uh-huh. one really long line. Yeah. Um, and it's like, oh, you just keep the margins the same and little prosy section. But I guess if it's a reprint and the book was initially published in a different, I don't know. I, I, I kind of liked that idea of, and I, I don't even think I had been like introduced to the idea of a hybrid work before. I think I probably first heard of it when I first started trying to submit writing and people are like prose poetry and hybrid. And I'm like, I guess that's both. I think my first exposure was Ann Carson's autobiography of Red. I think that's the first time uh, uh, an instructor had ever prefaced something as a hybrid. Um, and uh, maybe also Robert Coover's The Grand Hotels of Joseph Cornell. Um, those are, again, it's like, are they prose poems or are they flash fiction pieces? Um, but that's a, that was a really um, like formative book as well. Um, and it's, it's I, I think of them as ekphrastic poems responding to different boxes that Joseph Cornell made. Hmm. Um, and uh, my favorite, and I think it's my favorite box he did as well um was uh, i think it's called grand hotel penny arcade um i love i love that one um and then uh my favorite poet is osabai um uh swedish poet who's written a lot of prose poetry translated by johannes jorensen mm. Um, she had a book, she has a book called With Deer, and that's, I don't know if any other book has had, um, such a profound influence on me, because I've never read anything else like it. Mm. Um, but she also, she also moves back and forth from a prose lyrical mode. She has a book called Transfer Fat, um... And they kind of function like little lyrical lullabies with line breaks. But a lot of her work is prose blocks. Um, hmm. So so here's something. Because I, I, you also translate, right? Right. I translate uh, from Swedish. Okay. Um, no Swedish ancestry. <laughs> um, Cunningham doesn't make me think Swedish. Right. Well... <laughs> Right. But I guess right. last names are, are last names. I anyway. confuse people sure. because um, I have no Swedish ancestry. But someone one time at a reading, and um, it was really funny. Uh, I, I they they were they pronounced my name Kuningham. Oh, and 
I, I to this day I still have friends that'll uh, from that reading when they see me they'll call me Cunningham, um, but it is yeah it's a Scottish it's a Scottish. <laughs> I mean, are there a lot of people working in in, in Scottish Gaelic anyway? I guess. <laughs> well, I people think I lie. People think I'm lying when I say I translate Swedish. Hmm. Um, uh, people uh, like like not like writers or, or um, artists or, or anything but like when i just like if like when i i worked at, like at a movie theater for five or six years in between undergrad and grad school or whatever and i mean i think there's people to this day that think i was just yanking their chain <laughs> yeah sure you translate swedish you know um but it was something i'd been interested in since i was like 16 mm, like uh, particularly swedish and yeah. where does that come from? Where does the interest in Swedish come from? So again, it's a weird, it sounds weird, but, um, I had, a, I, I, so I left my, I left my, um, home district high school to go to a performing arts charter school when I was a teenager. And, uh, I was studying fiction there but I don't think I was a very good fiction writer at the time. And I had a, a, a poetry instructor who uh, definitely insisted I was a better poet at the time. Hmm. And uh, ultimately, the long story short, this instructor gifted me a copy of Osibai's With Deer. And um, my, my, dad, um, my dad knows German, and I'd always thought that I'd maybe learn German. But this was like the first bilingual book of anything I'd ever read with such enthusiasm. And I um, noticed, in my opinion, like Swedish is even closer to English than German. Hmm. Um, but there are still like, there are similarities. Um, Dog is going to be the same in German as it is in Swedish. It's hund. It's spelled the same way. Right. Um, there's definitely crossover, but um, I feel like uh, Swedish, it's not so um, throaty. It's not so uh, thick. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. I definitely feel like it was closer to English, so I felt like it was easier to learn and pick up. And um, But... Yeah, like I feel like most people's first, um, like I don't know, translated poetry is like Rumi or something. Mm, sure. And I never read Rumi. Um, yeah, uh, I have some Rumi sitting on my bookshelf that I need to read eventually. <laughs> but I mean, I came to Rumi through like through the religious route, where I was oh, like, really? I was watching a bunch of YouTube videos about like ecstatic mystics and stuff, and roomies is one uh or at least like in that world and it's like yeah you know the love poetry like it's it's love letters <laughs> to god you know he's, he's yeah. writing about a lady but it's god right right um and i just think that that's so funny that in america the most um the best-selling poet is just a sufi mystic writing poems about allah um i'm i'm reading rilke's book of hours right now which is basically the german roomie right, right. and um I was reading the translator's notes and they're like, yeah, we combined a couple of poems here. And I was like, what, why would you do that? And, and I'm like, I, um, it's the, 
it's one of the editions with German on one side and English on the other because I I uh-huh. know some German. I I could probably keep myself from getting too lost. Um is is about how how good I am at it. But um and so I mean mystical poetry plus language practice sound, sounded pretty good to me. Um but yeah. a lot of the changes that they made were just interesting to me as they were explaining it in the translator's notes. They're like, "Yeah, we decided not to make it rhyme and we, we merged a couple poems together and we left one out and well that's a, that's a thing and, and some of these arguments they drive me crazy um uh this thing called phonetic translation where i mean it depends on the person um but you'll meet people that believe like it's it's the altar where they worship it's all about phonetic translation um we we must put aside definition and meaning and prioritize sound and um we will preserve <laughs> the we will preserve the sound of the original french in the in the english um <laughs> and uh, and then you have it the other way too which is we will sacrifice all sound and rhythm to preserve meaning and definition and uh i think when you can find a happy a happy coincidence <laughs> uh when you can preserve both meaning and sound um which is really fun in Swedish because of all the neologisms. These you get all these neologisms because there's these Swedish words and phrases that just have no English equivalent. Uh, and then there's Swedish punning that, mm. or any language has punning that's not going to translate into English. So you have to get really creative um, sometimes. But I do find it interesting because people get very angry about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it must be a phonetic translation. Um, it must, or we must sacrifice sound for meaning. Uh, uh, very interesting. Right. I, I read the Poetic Edda two years ago, too. And like that, um, you know, the, the old Norse poetry is so strict with its uh-huh. rules. Um, like all of the, um, why can't I think of the word? Were the first letter of the words are the same or the sound assonance uh, uh, assonance yeah jeez lou holy cow wow any poetry credit i had uh, like all the assonance no and, and and um like certain things like these it, any vowels uh any word that starts with any vowel at all is assonant uh-huh. to an to the next one and then of course the the norse poems all have kennings tons of kennings because they need to make things rhyme and they need to make things <laughs> fill in those rules so you have you know oak oak tears and it's like oh that's odin because he's men are like trees and oaks are the best trees and tears because he plucked out his eye or whatever um right, right. and then so translating that and then a, translation is something i've just been thinking about a lot as i find myself in my free time getting into like really old texts greek and um you know reading the old testament or whatever and like you know 
be almost being afraid like it took me forever to pick up any play-doh at all because i was afraid that i was going to pick up the wrong translation from the barnes and noble right i was going to pick up something and it would color play-doh for me forever and then i'd Uh have like tons of work to undo and then of course because he's so influential to everything else that i'd have to like undo everything else once i read a different play-doh translation right right um and then as well this is how easily i let myself get influenced by things i watched the movie patterson with adam driver and jim jarmusch movie from a couple years ago and there's a scene where he sits down on a bench next to like a japanese guy um and they talk in as little as they can conversate and share with each other that they're both poets and the japanese guy reads a poem in japanese i hope he's japanese um and then you know Patterson's like, yeah, that's very nice. It sounds beautiful, but obviously I don't speak your language, so I don't know what it is. Um, And the poet's like, yeah, if you don't read a poem in the original language, it doesn't really matter. I'm paraphrasing, but like, um, and that's like colored for me reading any work in translation, um, like ever. Like I, I become very anxious about the translation that I'm going to read. No, I totally get that, and that's why I think, and I mean, I guess it's, you know, one of the good things about the internet is um, typically, not always, but typically we can find um, the original, some recording of the original, so we can at least listen to it and compare, and mm-hmm. um, it's hard for me to preserve um uh, things uh, sometimes when I translate, um, because I'm not translating, like I don't translate, I'm translating people that are still alive. And so, um, I have to be careful how I ask questions sometimes, um, because, uh, it's like, I'm just looking for a little bit of assistance with, um, the English. Uh, but then I, I don't want to make, I don't want to make the, the Swedish writer apprehensive, or like the feeling that she might need to revise something. Mm. Uh, like, no, 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 I don't want to, re- I don't want to rewrite. We don't, you know, um, uh, so, um, that's, uh, tricky, but, um, uh, there, I mean, uh, so like a, a great example of one of the best readings I'd ever gone to, I think it was my, I think it was the first time I'd went to an AWP conference and it was in Washington, DC and the Chilean poet, uh, Raul Zarita read who, uh, uh, action books has published. And, um, I don't really know. My Spanish is not great, but, um, I mean, I've never cried at a poetry reading prior to that i had never i had never gone to a poetry reading and broke down in tears mm. um he's an incredible reader uh, and uh, uh, the delivery is so heavy um and uh you know it's it's kind of like that you have this or at least i did at the time and i must have been like when I'm a, I, I was 20 or 21 when I first uh, got to see him read, and uh, I definitely didn't. I definitely did not understand everything 
being said during that reading, but I did understand, and um, it was like an understanding of um, pain and suffering, and uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, if you ever a chance to just listen to Rosarito read in Spanish, it's in, it's in, it's like intoxicating. Yeah. Um, I have not seen Patterson though. I'm afraid to watch it. I'm a huge Jim Jarmusch fan, but it's it's <laughs> I, like people mention it. You'll see someone mention Patterson on Twitter, and then everyone's like, "Oh, someone's talking about Patterson," mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the opinions, and, and uh, every you know. Um, but I know people that love that film and I know people that hate that film. I'm afraid to watch it, but I do love Jim Jarmusch very much. Hmm. Um, I, uh, what's it called? Down by Law. That's my favorite film, Down by Law. I haven't seen that one. I, There's this great ice cream bit. Um, great ice cream bit. Anyway. I think I only like like accidentally watch Jim Jarmusch films. Like I just like, Oh, this, this looks good. And then, <laughs> and then great accident. <laughs> and then later I'm like, Oh, that was the same guy who did, um, you know, coffee and cigarettes or whatever. Tom Waits is a great every, I just love Tom Waits. Uh, that new Paul Thomas Anderson film that came out. Um, that was also, everything's controversial these days, but that was a controversy too. But um, my God, I mean, it wasn't my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson film, but I will say I would have just preferred that film to be about just the Sean Penn and Tom Waits character. <laughs> I could have just watched those two characters for an hour and a half and been pretty happy. But um, yeah, Tom Waits is great. I'm down below. I'm I'm such a Tom Waits fan of like his whole thing. Like as yeah. as I slowly start to get older, yeah. the fact that he I remember watching a interview with him on one of his maybe like Letterman because he was on Letterman a million times. Um and he asked him like, "Why did you make your voice sound like that? Like you did that on purpose." And he's like, eh, "I'm just kind of obs- I've always been obsessed with being an old man." And like you know, every once in a while, people will share like Bible verses and they're like, this gives me peace. Like Tom Waits talking about always wanting to have been an old man is one of the things that makes me feel at peace in, in the world. Like, oh, okay, I'm going to get old, but it's okay. Yeah. It's good enough for Tom. It's good enough for me. Well, that, that, exactly. Like, I, I don't know his net worth or anything, but I know the man drinks old crow and that's good enough for Tom Waits. And every now and then I'm like, you know, if Old Crow's good enough for Tom Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's he's one of the people who I don't I don't know if I believe like you know, especially his early stuff is like so noir. Yeah, yes. That like I don't know if I believe that he wasn't just living in the suburbs and reading <laughs> you know, watching the big sleep every night before he goes to bed to get inspiration or whatever because it's like so out there but he's one of those people that like it would not matter to me if he came from money and you know uh whatever like he just he commits to the bit and he's so good at it that i just i don't care you know yeah same same oh man um i was lucky enough to watch patterson before i got onto writer twitter so good Oh, writer Twitter's the worst. I, um, I was, you know, I. It's it's a really slow movie, and there's something kind of zen about it, but it also I don't know it kind of it, 
it feels almost like Bartleby the Scrivener to me and that like depending on the mood I'm in I can interpret the film to reflect my mood like it's either a movie about a poet who is deeply depressed or about a guy who's perfectly content in his life and I can't tell which okay well you're selling me you're you're, you're selling me on it uh, um, I, I I haven't seen that film and I haven't seen Ghost Dog I haven't seen Ghost Dog yeah Ghost Dog it's probably... those are the only two Tom or not Tom, those are the only two Jim Jarmusch films I haven't seen wow um that's one of those films that like I look at the cover and I'm just like it looks like a film that somebody made to make money from like video store rentals oh you know like back in the day when you just have like a, a type of cover just to put on a vhs tape All right. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and how many yeah. bad fantasy you know direct-to-video movies have been made because of a great painting but yeah i don't know like it doesn't it doesn't strike me as a movie that is going to be um good yeah i prefer i I mean i do admittedly prefer his older stuff and but i did really love dead man um mm. dead man's great um yeah i'm mean, just gonna i mean i have to make an and he's effort great to see some more of his movies because i've only seen like two or three he's he is he is he is great hair he does Wonderful. have good hair <laughs> I, I will say that um so yeah i don't know for for some reason when i was imagining doing this interview i imagined us talking about translations a lot more but i think i, I kind of like understand where you're at with it for some reason i thought it would be like a much more like i don't know defining our terms heavy sort of thing but i guess i guess not and that's totally fine um so we'll circle back to the tree of of the house of sores then um which came out before fall garment also from schism yes um and has a sort of i saw you talking about it on twitter the other day oh um, god <laughs> oh in reference yeah. to this house has people in it oh uh, yeah yeah so yeah yeah uh, yeah, I did not. That. James uh, James had been telling me to. Um, so I, uh, James wrote this really. James Pate wrote this really um, generous review of that book, and he had told I didn't know he was doing that, and it, I I loved the review, and um, but he had told me months months ago. Um, that I need to watch This House Has People in It. And uh, I didn't know it was the same director as that, um, the other like adult swim short film, unedited footage of a bear, which I had seen and I do love. Um, I had no idea it was the same director. So I finally watched it. And uh, yeah, I thought that I thought that was incredible too. Um, uh, and I, I now I, I'm just wondering like what, what this filmmaker's up to. Um, Seems like a genius. Um, uh, it's, I don't, I don't know if it's credited as one director, but it's it's part of Wham City comedy. They were, I think they're like on hiatus now, just like a group of like four or five people. Um, and okay. they've done those two, and then they've done two like 
those like super late night adult swim things they did these well, they have them organized on uh on if you go to like hbo max mm-hmm. i think it's hbo max has an adult swim category yeah and you can watch both and other things can you watch them um, on adult swim or on hbo that's it's hilarious called, it's it's like yeah you can so you it's so weird and that's i'm still confused but um so oh and then not you know it's not that i don't think it's the same director i could be wrong but it's the same um they have uh too many cooks on there too yeah uh, and uh but they're calling it they're calling all of those short films too many cooks unedited footage of a bear they're calling all of those short films um infomercials on oh, hbo right. max okay they're calling it a series called infomercials i i don't know and i see okay uh live forever as you are now with alan resnick is the same group of people oh okay um and then there's there's some more they did these it's probably not on this as i'm scrolling through they did these like a series um called i always get the name mixed up because it's like a very generic title it's the call of man or the call of war Yes, the, the the cry of man and the call of war. These TV miniseries on on uh, Adult Swim, where they they're like um, improv people. This Glam okay. City comedy, and they had like a call in show. So they have a story, and then people call in. But because it's like four o'clock in the morning on Adult Swim, <laughs> it's like. You know, some high dude who just saw a phone number on a TV screen and decided to call in, and they're still in character trying to like get something out of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and this is—we've gone on a huge tangent because you've—you've you've unlocked my secret. Um, Wham City comedy love. Uh, this house has people in it. Has like secret codes and a website oh, associated with it that has passwords that you have to like use clues to to break into and has there's a whole like world of of stories Uh, like they did a whole world building project associated with with this um and there's like extra videos and and things like that and they have a uh, a book on audible that is apparently really good that like breaks the fourth wall and does a whole bunch of crazy things to your brain um but I guess that doesn't really have anything to do with your book. <laughs> Just I, I, any t- chance I have to proselytize well, no, ARGs, James, I, I do it. James um, uh, bringing it up. Um, I mean, he really had me thinking and, and I just, everything I do, I, 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 uh, everything I do, I think in terms of projects, um, I don't really write titled poems. I don't like, um, you know, oh, today I'm going to write my poem about the Blue Jay I saw on the way mm-hmm. home from, you know. Um, everything's everything's kind of done in terms of projects. And so when I was writing, writing that, and that, I, um, I mean, Fall Garment, I wrote Fall Garment in two years. And I spent six years writing The House of the Treosaurs. Um, and... Uh, I uh, yeah I was I was like I broke it up into different showrooms, um, and I love uh, it depends on the IKEA I guess, um, but I had been to IKEAs that 
they project from the ceiling an arrow onto the floor to guide you throughout the Ikea. I guess there's some Ikeas where the arrow is just kind of like a sticker on the floor. But um, uh, I really gravitated towards the this idea that if the you know if the IKEA and the furniture and everything's come to life and it's controlling and manipulating the protagonist and the reader, um, what what happens uh, what happens if the arrows are guiding you in the wrong direction? What if you are a reader who knows nothing about Swedish and you're just trying to understand things? But what if the book fucks with you a little bit? And uh, Honestly, I thought about uh, the scene in, in the in the David Bowie Labyrinth film where there's these creatures that live under, like uh, I don't know if you've seen Labyrinth, yeah. but um, there's these there like the the Jennifer Connelly's character Sarah, she's trying to like leave herself breadcrumbs so that she can get out of the labyrinth. So she keeps writing arrows on the on the ground with her lipstick, and there's these creatures that keep. They lift up the stones and they they turn them to send her back in the direction that she started. I was like, what if I do that with the with the IKEA? And uh, I, yeah, I, I it wouldn't work if they were stickers. So I like I like the IKEAs that project the arrows. And I was I was thinking about that, but I was thinking about I, the whole project is, and 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 this I I don't I don't know if the book would work in in a in other languages that weren't as close to English, maybe Spanish. Um, I think Spanish might work. Um, but I, I kind of wanted English readers to feel simultaneously comfortable feeling like they're learning, oh, you, this this word, this word is Swedish, but it reminds me of something in English. Um, I feel comfortable now. And then, like the rug is, <laughs> the rug is pulled out from under them. Um, but it kind of, I, yeah. So I, I wanted it to be both um, challenging, but also like inviting the reader in. Come on, play the game. Google Translate is a few clicks away. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, uh, the, that that book, uh, the Treosaurus book, hardly received any uh, critical attention. Uh, the new book is receiving a lot of critical attention, um, I, and it might be because of the uh, the bilingual nature of the of the book. But uh, yeah, Treosaurus is like my Ulysses. I love it. Mm. Um, I can I tell just, you were having fun with it. You know, yeah. it, it feels like a book that was fun to to write. Um, yeah, I wanted it to be both fun and harrowing, like a, a House of Mirrors. Uh. <laughs> yeah, that's what that's what it felt like. I mean, Fall Garment like gets into um, like AIDS stuff, and yeah, Fall Garment's not fun, really. <laughs> you know, but uh... yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's certainly beautiful, like. I found between the two works, I like the way that you um, put words together such that sounds like morph. I wish I had any examples in front of me right now, but I don't. But like, I guess the easy example is like the drum sounds that you write out 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and just, I don't know, like, it seems like you're comfortable using internal rhyme and, and things like that and, and trying to, like, make the poem musical to an extent. And that's, be, because I listen to more, like, hip-hop than poetry I read, whenever I write anything with line breaks in it, like, it's much more informed by trying to make the words have a relationship with each other beyond meaning and um makes me makes me happy to read something contemporary that does that too um and so that, yeah that's you know between house of sores and, and fall garment like because i read fall garment first it's like oh that's a thing he does and then house of sores is like oh okay this is like this is where this can go yeah um i would say everything i write i write it in the headspace that it will be read aloud Mm. um and if I was to read Treasaurs aloud, it, uh, I'm sure it's, it sounds far more dynamic than it does just on the page. And uh, then you get to hear more of the, uh, the way sounds clash or the way the English and the Swedish does not clash. And there's maybe some um, more euphony, um, euphonic uh, sound there. Um at the same time, there's poets that everything they write is meant to only be uh, read on the page, which I'm fine with that too. And I actually, one of my favorite poems to teach is E.E. E. Cummings' uh, Grasshopper Poem, which uh, I'm blanking on the actual name of the poem. I always just call it the Grasshopper Poem, but that's not that's that's not what it's called. Um, but the poem, uh, sy- syntactically, it's supposed to mimic a grasshopper uh, jumping around the page. Um, And it's literally like the word grasshopper changing and rearranging as it leaps. And uh, I like to talk to my students about whether the poem is a readable poem. Can you perform this poem? Can you read this poem that was possibly maybe only meant to be seen on the page? And they like to come up and... uh, and it all sounds like gibberish, and they try to read it out loud, but it's fun. Um, and uh, I think the best poetry is written when you're willing to let your guard down. Um, but sound, sound is really, uh, sounds really important to me. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that, and I'm glad that you think about it that way. Um, I find that uh, if I'm reading poetry alone or with the baby, I'm reading it out loud um, because it's like the only way I kind of can feel like I get it, right? I'm so used to reading prose and even, you know, narrative prose because, you know, in the past six years I've or four years, I've read a lot of prose that isn't narrative. Um, because of the show but like I'm you know I grew up reading fantasy novels like my eyes can kind of glaze over a battle scene and I'm not gonna miss out on too much and I've sort of developed that as a bad habit that especially in poetry and 
I will find that I've read three poems and I don't know where they went. Um, and so like, I kind of have to read them aloud to get them. And I don't read poems with the poet voice, you know, like I, I, I read them. You don't read the poems. No, I don't read the poems like that. I like, you don't read the poems. (laughs) There is a poem that I read like in a class that had words in all caps because it was like quoting a, a sign, like an advertisement, a uh, roadside billboard or something. And it was in all caps. So I yelled it and like everybody <laughs> looked at me yeah. like I was an idiot. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, it's in all caps. What am I supposed to do? Like, this is, you know, why you don't let the non-writing um, major person into your 300 level writing class. But um, yeah, I don't know. So, you know, it's, it feels good to read something where the words are working together again, beyond that sort of semiotic way. If it's all caps, you know, you know, let it out. Yop it. Right. I mean, I guess like we're not supposed to like dead poet society. We're supposed to say that it's cheesy and corny. Um, but, uh, you know, I think there's something to that scene where he, um, uh, uh, makes the students yelp, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I mean, and I, I, I just like eighty percent of what's wrong with most poetry readings that anybody goes to, and, and God, I mean, like, like it was, it was, it was great. It was, it was great. It was a negative and a positive. The Zoom readings, and we're still doing Zoom readings, and I love it. I can read with my friends. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read with some friends this Saturday on Zoom, but. Like, if if you've been to a, a, a reading in in person that felt like agony, um, my God, it's it's not even comparable to like a Zoom reading. <laughs> it's also agony. But yeah, I think just a lot of poets don't know how to read uh, their work, um, and it can feel like a hostage situation. It doesn't even. It's not even a question of like. Uh, poet voice either because like i feel like there's people that are really proud of their poet voice uh, <laughs> that they've mastered poet voice but then there's like monotone barely here these are my poems <laughs> so, yeah or, or, there's something or to poets, be... poets that's like have a poem that's like three couplets but they're gonna you know they qualify the poem they preface the poem you have to hear like a 10 minute introduction to these three couplets. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it can be brutal. <laughs> There's something to be said for like letting the words do the work, right? Like I get that. Right. Like I'm not going to influence you uh, by reading it in a certain way. I'm going to read it in, in such a way that it is, it is as pure, just the words as possible. But also, like, I mean, you're performing, man. Like, perform. Um, right. Whatever and that sometimes means. I, I, I have to, like, I have to give, like, a little context sometimes because, like, a, a lot of what I do is narrative. There's usually some sort of narrative. I mean, there might not be plot, but there's, like, some sort of... Uh, there's usually, like, a, a, a character, a recurring... Uh, yeah, like, a recurring character... Um, but uh, like I was at this poetry reading once and this guy was like, all right, this poem is about the never ending story. Have, has anybody seen the never ending story? If you haven't, and he starts summarizing oh, no. the entirety of the never ending story 
and then reads uh, the poem, which is like less than a minute long. And uh, now we know who uh, the flying dog is or, or whatever. <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, like I think like a lot of poets, just, just read. Just read the poem, title, poem, no title, whatever. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I'm I'm being no I I'm you know I, <laughs> I I don't think it's I don't think it's being mean I I worry about that a lot because because I like to post things on Twitter about like how I feel about things and you know I'm not even <laughs> Mr. Hot I'm not even Mr. Hot Taker here or anything like right, I, right, I try right. like very hard to like how do I express what I'm thinking without giving any examples such that nobody can uh think that i'm making any sort of um like quality judgment right 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 um and i still like half the time when i make a post like that i feel like i need to like Uh reply to the post and be like and by (laughs) the way this thing that i said wasn't as good as this thing um (laughs) i love that thing like here's the thing i love you know it's really great when something is better than that um and half the time yeah, i nothing, don't because that you know takes away from the whole nothing sucks more in life than going through like nine years of graduate school and you share some quote from a poem on twitter one day and like 20 people are like did you know that this poet in 1845 said this it's like yeah and they're very dead they're very much dead and uh not um profiting from you know i don't know but um uh yeah people are people are really angry all the time um but we should change the subject yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's fine um yeah i think you know um oh the 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 one other thing i I wanted to make sure I, i brought up was in in the house of sores at the end of each section there's like um like here's a little bit of context like this line is in reference to a a david lynch thing so um and like i like that because it kind of like uh retroactively contextualizes some of the things um and i think also wraps it around to the beginning of the of the conversation where you were talking about all these thomas browns that influenced and and these rabbit holes that have like these strange connections and stuff. And there's stuff like that in those sort of like, I forget what they were called, not further reading, but you know, like here's notes to the reader sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, I, uh, honestly, I was actually inspired by um, uh, Don Meechay's first book. The morning news is exciting. Does a similar thing. And, and then there's other poets I know that have included like notes, sometimes copious notes. Um, I don't know. The stereotype seems to be that, it, and it doesn't even have to necessarily be poets, uh, but any writer. Uh, they're just this, the the ongoing stereotype is that uh, poets writers don't do research. We don't do research. We're just a bunch of 
just stoners just wasting away and we don't uh, I, you know and these are these these questions are important i think um especially if you're like a writer that's going to involve yourself in the um always nefarious academia and if you're there for some creative purpose there's going to be somebody else that thinks lesser of you like you don't do research and you just kind of scoot by and um so i don't know um part of that was um both me wanting to provide additional context and also like this isn't just like uh you know a bunch of nonsense like the stuff about the crocheted uh, the crocheted octopuses and stuff uh that uh got kind of outlawed in various Scandinavian countries um, for um, harboring bacteria, <laughs> even though they were kind they, I mean, the, the, these stuffed animals were helping, um, helping children, but spreading germs because of the materials they were made from. So um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I, and I, I don't think it really and this goes back to what you were saying earlier about um, when we were talking about like how one should maybe contextualize a poem before reading it. I'm not anti context, but maybe like read the poem and then talk about it. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Um, but uh, and the, I think, you know, the book has been accused of being very difficult and challenging and puzzling. And, and so might as well throw the reader some bones. All right, I'm going to read from the final section of Fall Garment, which is also called Fall Garment. Discovery of a uniform who yards open. The surface I appreciate quality is not what it seems. And T-H-O-M is corrected to T-O-M on the screen. Now there are two, and we are very focused on embracing the world. We live in bowels and regions, this apple, this center, nature, urns, coins, teeth, monuments below, the lawn, the mower, great antiquity, America, lawn, and lock a daisy America, forefathers and daisy cutters, water escaping, bones and relics between Satan and Archangel, body of Moses dividing, escaping salt ocean, lawless Adam and funeral pyre Eve of plained wood burnt, old city Ovid in a silver urn Ovid, turning among crows, we live in our clothes and water of all things concludes fire. Clothes are not precious matter, master, principle in composition. We like everything to be in order, white balloons and clean children, regular and uniform until degeneration warms, warming particles. The quality of garments, the quality of matter remains fundamental. No natural landscapes 
wars served, wars survived, many nations embrace fire, burning themselves alive, days and years of last words, worms, everything living tweets, but birds, spectators, great idolaters of fire, pollution as a deity exposing bodies unto vultures, beers of wood, a fuel the who who pollute the earth, we authentic devouring elements mercilessly consuming fish eating with our mouths, drying earth with our mouths, visible corruption, a debt of bodies, oldest element, Homer, drowning crowded into urn, outside, earning bodies, earning their trees, making use of trees. There's definitely things outside, outside of fashion. I find myself laughing outside with much burning, barbarous nation, America. I stand outside of whatever that is and the way of obsequies, ashes of our savior of Peter, Paul, and the ancient martyrs, black and white angels in the hollow, expressionism, the custom of exact embalming. You fall into the commercial trap of not creating interesting things. A burst of sunflowers, a sepulchre entertains. He that observeth the eyes, washed, dead, nations wavering, mournful, treble, animal law, thick as credit, phoenix, you need a touch of personality from sepulcher, a burst of sunflowers, golden bees are swarming from sepulchral cells, garden gnomes carrieth out their dead, authors our repeat, bones and ashes our repeat, phoenixed, a severed ear, a plot of ground, surface of the ground, altars and urns, what perishes in name, perishes a different sound, a severed ear, military invasions in hope of a better state, every daughter who's lived in an angle, when you make garments so perfectly, there has to be something that renders them a little imperfect. The populace, their urns, stood in resistance, endeavored to burn. Many coins buried them underground. Iron rings and iron Caesars of bulk and bigness, the urns deposited nothing, only more uncertainty, these parts, garrisoned, planted before the dates of their internments, urns, lamps, bottles, terms of burning, magnificent burning, condemned the bones of men into magma town, the burying place of golden bridges of musical instruments, grass hopping in a monument of urns, relics, a reliable form of thirst, used against them knives of iron, wood, and brass, menswear has always been important. We found their mouths pointed downward in cadaverous composure, our last bed, uniform individuality, earth, inmost vault, inward red, sounding begot, looking testaceous, the artifice of clay, statua reigns, such decline, earning or uh, offens of lay or ordering, mode of Pythagoras, or coffins of clay, or circumscription, tinsel earth, or the first dog's grass, a grasshopper's bones as solemnized monument, the inscription containing time, oils, the Sedlak Chapel in Prague, computer of great conjunctions and kingdoms fatal, crude cum drought, rings, coins, and chalice, 
corpse gold ringing, corpse teeth ringing, opaline fire, I sink into earth, water into eternal green epithet, tomb of spectators, cypress of Diana, Aaron's olive rod, ark of Noah, vegetable fragments and undated ruins, floods, remains, we among metal test boundaries, Christians dispute how their bodies should lie in the grave, the eggshells, corruption. I feel very American in the monument, crumbling to pieces, magnetical parts, call it American sensibility, yet metal rusts, even pieces we admire rust, the hardest attrition, piercing atoms of air, they typewriter, piercing atoms of air, green entrails, flowers and ribbons, ties, in other words, men's ties, no sight of self, verses, only verses, ossuaries, the amphitheater, and so much tragedy, fragments of skulls, mixtures of bones. This is a collection of classic, beautifully made suits. This is a collection of classic, beautifully laid bones. Thank you.